welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. good news or bad news, depending where you're coming from today. The good news, bad news is I have two sermons. Maybe the good news in all of that is you'll still get out of here by 1230 or so. But unless the Lord has other plans for us, of course. I want to talk to you just quickly about seeing clearly in this matter of prayer, fasting. Seeing clearly the matter of prayer and fasting. Interesting portion of scripture in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is just uh, a place by a big cliff. We'll put a picture up there from our first trip as a church to uh, Israel. Caesarea Philippi is where people of the nations would gather in northern Philistine and they would offer worship to false gods. All kinds of gods were there. They sacrificed there. They presented burnt offerings there. It was in that context that Jesus asked the question, uh, who's everybody saying I am? And they throw out some of the things that culture had been saying Jesus was. And then Jesus asked the question, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the, the Christ, son of the living God. And in verse 19 of Matthew 16, and I invite you to open your Bibles here because uh, you may want to make a note of something that's very important that I'm going to share now. He said to Peter, uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The wording of that is very, very important. I will give you the keys. Plural. And said, I will give you the key to the kingdom of heaven. He said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I carry around all the time my set of keys. I get in trouble when I don't have my keys. There are places I desperately want to get into, but I can't get into them because I don't have my keys, can't remember where I put them. 
these keys are for different places. Got a house key, I've got a church key. They got keys to all kind of filing cabinets that I haven't got a clue which one they're for, so I try all six before I get the right one. I got keys for my Ford. Yesterday, in a moment of senility or something, I'm trying to get into the church office and I'm going like this. Now, I didn't do that for 10 minutes. At some point, I realized it wasn't working. But this key does not open the church office door. Not what it's designed for. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If you are going to be fruitful and triumphant in your spiritual walk, you have to have a full keychain. If you're going to be triumphant and fruitful in your spiritual walk, you have to have a full keychain. Some people tell me love is the key. That statement is wrong. Love is a key. And love is a very important key. And you need to have love on your keychain. But love isn't going to bring victory and solve every single problem. Love is a key. Generosity is a key. You can open up the windows of heaven for blessing in your life by just learning to be generous. Above and beyond kind of person. It's a key. Purity is a key. We can't have the blessing of God in our lives and live like the devil. Our keys. Two of the other keys that are essential and important our prayer and fasting, and I want to open our eyes a little bit to the value of prayer and fasting because this week we're having a prayer summit. We're calling our church to prayer and we're calling our church to fasting. Truth of the matter is, if we're not praying as individuals and if we're not praying as a church, we are playing. And the truth of the matter is, if we're not fasting, we'll have no fruit that's lasting. If we're not praying, we're playing. If we're not fasting, we'll have no fruit that's lasting. We have to take seriously these two keys. This week, I challenge us to pray, and I challenge us to fast. We need a breakthrough in our church. Our community needs a breakthrough. Many of our families and homes need a breakthrough. And uh, you can stand and push some button forever, 
but there are some things that require a different key. And fasting looses bands of wickedness and undoes heavy burdens and breaks yokes and lets the oppressed go free. I will give you the keys to the kingdom. So here's my challenge to all of us. And uh, I'd invite the worship band to come and just lead us in another song in a moment. Here's my challenge to every one of us. I invite you to take the call to prayer seriously. On the back of your bulletin is listed every single prayer meeting that we are calling our people to in the next week. The first one is at 6 o'clock tonight in Martinsville, Venture Heights School. Those folks drive into so many of our prayer meetings. Let's encourage them. Make our way out there tonight. We're going to worship together. We're going to pray together uh, starting at 6 o'clock, Monday to Thursday, uh, 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Uh, we're having prayer meetings here in the sanctuary. I challenge you to come out. I challenge every member, every family, try to get to three or four prayer meetings this week. And bring your kids. Our kids need to see the church praying. Bring your kids. Well, I was three months into grade 10. In Alberta, that's your first year in high school. And my dad, who was a pastor, who's now a retired minister, uh, said at the supper table to our family, we're considering moving. I've been raised in Calgary. Calgary was all I ever really knew. He said, we're considering accepting a ministry opportunity in Barhead, Alberta. Well, as things unveiled themselves, Dad and Mom were called to serve the church in Barhead. I left the Calgary of the Mountains and the Calgary of the Calgary Stampeders to uh, this little community northwest of Edmonton of 3,000 people. Was I thrilled? No. I was in the middle of high school, hopped in the car from Calgary, and I was leaving behind my girlfriend, Bonnie, who I'm sure it was, I was sure it was the real thing. And we're heading up to Calgary, and not only am I leaving Calgary I loved, I'm leaving Bonnie I loved, or thought. And my sisters decided to sing this for four hours. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. My Bonnie lies over the sea. My Bonnie, bum, 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 bum. So, over and over and over. Dad would tell them to stop, and they would for about 30 seconds. And So I cried from Calgary to Barhead, big boy that I was. I got to Barhead and was trying to go to school and I said, I, I'm not feeling good. I can't go to school today. 
I uh, have matured in my faith and character, I think, a little bit since then. But I was just stressed out about going to school. Second day, I said, I, I'm too sick to go to school. And I wasn't, fa- I, I literally felt sick about going to school and the thought of walking, it was a semester system, walking into five different classes all day in a room where I didn't know a single soul. It was just nauseating. And so the third day I said, uh, I'm too sick to go to school. And my dad said, my dad said, uh, forget that nonsense, get dressed, I'm driving you to school. And he drove me to school and walked me into the principal's office. And I did what had to be done. New things are scary. New things are scary. And one of the scariest things for a person to do is to walk into a new church. Now, we can't understand that because we come here every week and we know everybody here is absolutely amazing, absolutely wonderful, but people who have never been here don't know all that yet. And so they're scared. So we had a guest in our service in Martinsville this morning and I went and introduced myself, but as soon as she came in the door, uh, some of our churches started going to pickleball on Thursday evening. They've decided that's going to be a touching point with the community. So they're playing pickleball with the community on Thursday evenings at Martinsville. The lady walked in, and she saw one of the ladies of our church who's been going to pickleball, and that lady invited her to sit with her, and then I went and introduced myself to her. She said, and I was scared. That's the exact word she used. I was scared to come, but knew I needed to come today. I was scared. But she saw a familiar face that asked her to sit with her, and everything was okay. We need to understand, people who are coming in here for the first time, it's a big step. It's a bit scary. You come to, or invited to our house for dinner. I know the routine. My wife will take every magazine in the house that I have put in an inappropriate place. And she'll make sure it gets in the right place, the place magazines are supposed to be. The uh, toys from the grandkids all get put away properly. She gets out this dusty thing. Apparently it's called a Swiffer, whatever that is. But, and she Swiffers the house with the dust thing. Pulls out the vacuum. Because when you show up at the house, she wants you to feel like we're glad we're there and we're honored to have you and we've actually prepared for you to be there. When you come in, we will meet you at the door. We'll say, come in, good to see you. We'll invite you upstairs on a bi-level. And uh, we'll sit down and we'll begin to visit. And we've invited you for dinner You won't see me running to the phone and trying to find something on Google or the yellow pages so I can get some takeout brought, delivered real quick. No, you will smell some food that's been simmering in the oven, cooking in the oven and some stuff that's been simmering on the top of the stove. Why do we do that? 
because we're honoring our guests. It's really important as a church that we get good at honoring our people. So the people God gives us as guests. So guests, forgive me this morning, uh, but we need to talk about our church a little bit. And uh, I think most people will tell you here we're pretty good at getting into the Bible, but we won't be working your Bibles as hard as we normally do. So last May we had five experts come in and talk to us about our church and what we needed to be doing better. They asked us what our mission was, and we said our mission is helping people find and follow Jesus. They said, wow, that's a really good mission, and I think it is, and it's simple and it's concise, helping people find and follow Jesus. That's what the neighborhood is about. And then they asked the question, and how do you do that? And I tried to mumble my way through some spiritual-sounding answer, and uh, they said, yeah, but how do you do that? They asked me that five times, and they asked a bunch of you how we're doing it, too. And they came to the conclusion that we don't have a real clear plan for helping people find and follow Jesus. So we spent time as leadership over the last uh, three or four months making sure we've got a clear strategy. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40, all things need to be done properly and in an orderly manner. Now we read that and we tend to confine it uh, or assign it to the prophetic gifts and uh, interpretation of tongues and tongues and who's allowed to say what in church. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says in the New International Version, everything should be done in a fitting and properly way. But it's everything here. Everything in the church, everything in the church needs to be done in a fitting, proper, orderly way. Now, when I read orderly, I see order. I don't think that's stretching it. When I see orderly, I see that there's order. So we've been thinking through order around here. And we've recognized we really need to get good at, as a church, turning our first-time guests into second-time guests. We need to get really good at turning our second-time guests into re regular attenders, and we need to get really good at turning our regular attenders into mature, committed members of the body of Christ. That's what we need to do. So how do we do that? What's our clear plan for discipleship? So step one, and I talked about this last week, is this whole thing about come in. So our missional process begins with come in. And the first part of the come in process is invite. Invite. Why do you show up at my place for dinner? Because you got a invite. <laughs> People who show up at church show up because they got a invite. It's usually two primary ways now. Number one, it's the personal invite and it's the good use of the web, Facebook website. Those are the primary ways people get an invite. We've got to get good at invitations. So I took Bass out for lunch this week uh, to say goodbye to him. And uh, 
we ate our meal, we had a good visit, and then it came time to pay the bill, and the waitress comes, and Bass says to the waitress, what's your name? She says, my name is Melissa, at least I think that was her name. And Bass says, I'd like, you to inter- I'd like to introduce you to my pastor. This is Pastor John. He pastors the neighborhood church. The neighborhood church is on the north end of Saskatoon. The neighborhood church is a really good church. I'd like to invite you to the neighborhood church. You should come to the neighborhood church. And we had a good talk about our church and what kind of church we are, and I seconded the invitation. She left. Bill was paid. And then Bass looks at me and said, I heard what you said last Sunday. We need to develop an invitational culture where we are (laughs) inviting people to church. You say, well, some of them don't come. Yeah, but some will. We need to invite people to church. And when we invite people to church, they need to receive an exceptionally warm welcome. We said last week that nine out of ten great guests in a church service hate coffee breaks and hate greeting time. And do you know why they hate coffee breaks and they hate greeting time? They say because it is phony. It's not authentic. They said because we come into church and we sit here alone and nobody says anything to us until pastor says shake some hands and all of a sudden you're friendly. We've got to get past that. We have got to become people who are hospitable. Hospitable means lovers of strangers. We have to get good at talking to people and making sure they feel welcome. We need to be a house that is marked by exceptionally warm welcomes. Say, I'm an introvert. Did you know the Bible never once gives commands to introverts and extroverts? Extroverts love one another. Extroverts be... No, the command is be hospitable. Um, So we can all learn to do that. I had a, a young guy, I don't think he was more than five, at church last Saturday night, week before last, and I said hi to him, and he looked me in the eyes. This is a five year old, and he says, How was your Christmas? Five year old. I said, it was very good. He says, what did you like about it? I told him what I liked about it. He said, what was your favorite present? We talked about my Christmas, a five-year-old, for about five minutes. We can all learn how to carry on a conversation for a little while. Five-year-old modeled it to me last week. We're going to provide exceptionally warm welcomes. Thirdly, we're going to do our best to help them get acquainted with us after the service. We're going to build at our information center Uh, a two-fold process where one of the persons at the information center is going to be there to answer church members' questions and help you with your giving, give you your church membership applications, and we're going to have a second person at the information center who is specifically assigned to talk to our guests and tell them about our church. And they're going to invite them to the fourth step, which is our next steps get-together. We won't be organized for this probably till March at least, but Uh, we're going to start inviting our guests to a short lunch for three Sundays in a row after service. Simple, short lunch. Uh, 
first, second, third Sundays of the month, and we're going to talk to them about the Word of God, and we're going to talk to them about our church, and talk to them about what finding and following Jesus looks like. We're going to get as good as we can about helping people come in. So there's going to be some buzzwords that we're going to get very familiar with around here, and the buzzwords are come in, and the second buzzword is grow up. Now, interestingly, the grow up part of our model here is actually going downhill. But I tell you, that's when you've grown up. When you're trying to still go up and become a big shot, you haven't grown up yet. When you've grown up, you've learned how to serve. And so the direction that's going is really the right direction. We grow up. I visited Lynn Kurtz uh, last Sunday evening to get ready for Cliff's uh, memorial service on Friday afternoon. And before I was going, Lynn got into a bit of memory mode. And she said this. It got me in quite a bit of trouble, actually. But this is what she said. The whole time Cliff and I were married, uh, I never once cut the grass. I never shoveled snow. Swept it a couple of times, but I've never shoveled snow. They're married for 52 years. Never cut the grass, never shoveled snow. I never put up a Christmas tree. I never took down a Christmas tree. You wouldn't want to have been in our truck from David Knight Crescent to our home on Verbecki after that visit. But what, what had I heard there? I'd heard about a husband who had learned that when you've really grown up, you learn to serve. You think less of yourself, and you're always thinking about others. And this was a man who lived a sacrificial life for all of us who knew him. Uh, so going down is the direction you go. So we'll get people into uh, the next steps get-together, and then uh, after three weeks with them, we will really steer them towards uh, ministries where they can continue to grow in their faith. Uh, Alpha, we're going to start a new attenders discovery group, and we're going to start uh, steering people to things like biblical print. We're going to make sure they get somewhere where they'll continue to uh, learn the word and grow in Christ. And then, at the end of that, the responsibility of the leader is going to make sure that every one of them gets channeled into a life group. Life groups really matter. Life groups are, to the 21st century, what Sunday school was in the 20th century. Churches that are growing and discipling well are deeply committed to life groups. We have to get people in relationship. Ed Stetzer uh, said this in terms of small groups. A lot of Christian discipleship deals with what you need to know, uh, not who you need to be with. That is sad. Because if relationship is right, the information will follow. If we get people in real gospel community, they will learn. But the opposite is not always true. Friends, trying to get information into people's heads and hearts when they become believers at the early stage is not what they need the most. They need genuine people in their lives who are deeply going to care for them. And we've got to get people connected relationally. Relationally and in deep, meaningful relationships, not just with one person. And if we fail there, we fail. 
if we fail there, we fail. Um, statistics show, and now I'm quoting Tom Rayner, and this is astonishing to me, that people who join a group at church are five times more likely to still be in the faith and in church five years later than those who do not get connected to a group. That is astonishing. You get in a group, the likelihood of you still being in the faith and in church five five years later is five times higher than if you just try to go solo. Why is that? Because we're built to be in community and discipleship takes place in community. This really matters. So I've said these two things a number of times over the years, and then I stopped saying them, and now I need to start saying them again. We all need to be involved in life groups. We either need to be in life groups because we still need to be learning, or we need to be in life groups because we need to be a friend to those who need to be learning. It's really that simple. And I'll say this as well, and I'm not just trying to say something that sounds kind of interesting to make you think, I I believe this. If you only have two hours a week to give to the church, can only find two hours, and if you can only find two hours a week for the church, maybe you should take a time management course. But you really only got two hours a week for church, period. Everything else, got no room. Then please stop coming to church on the weekend and go to a life group. It'll do you much better. And you'll go quicker and you'll feel safer spiritually. We're meant to live this thing in deeply committed relationships. Life groups provide an opportunity, I'll go through this quickly, personal discovery, meaningful friendships, and uh, for maximum mission. So let's talk about the last part of this now, and that is reach out. So here are the three buzz phrases that will describe our missional process. Come in, grow up, reach out. Come in, grow up, reach out. That's what we're going to do around here. We're going to invite people to come in. We're going to help them grow in their faith. And then we're going to become a community deeply committed to reaching out. Come in, grow up, reach out. Come in, grow up, reach out. Come in, grow up, reach out. So how do you do that? Well, we get our life groups deeply committed to being on mission. We've made a mistake for two millenniums now as a church. We've always been concerned about studying the Bible, and we haven't been all that concerned about doing the Bible. Christians are meant to be on mission. We're meant to be doers. Um, So we'll encourage our life groups to make sure the people in their life groups are on mission, and that'll be reflected in two things, serving our church. If we're going to be a warm, welcoming, exceptionally warm, welcoming church, we need everybody to be involved. The moment we're going to receive your offerings, we're also going to give you a chance to fill out your Connect cards On the back of our Connect cards are opportunities to say, yes, I want to serve. And we're particularly looking for help on the front end, uh, hosts and greeters at the door and ushers. We need to get better at that. We have a training session at 645 this Thursday. Uh, Won't last more than an hour in the foyer. We want you to be a part of it. We want to get really, really good at providing an exceptionally warm. Say, I can't do that. I tell you, if a five-year-old can carry on an intelligent conversation with me about how my Christmas was, we can all learn to say hello to people. We can all learn it. We can all do it. 
So fill out your connection card now if you can help us be a part of that front end welcome. It is so, so important. We'll serve our community. We will do less and less events as a church where we're inviting people to come to us. We're going to figure out how to get into our community. I have a theory. I have a theory that if 20 of the guys from the neighborhood would uh, suddenly get involved in the North End and say, I'm going to help coach softball. I'm going to be a soccer coach. Uh, I'll, be, uh, I'll be somebody who's committed to coaching flag football. And the neighborhood church is out not going to things that they come to us once a year, but we're meeting families and we're meeting their kids three or four times a week, coaching their games and doing their practices that perhaps will have more impact than trying to get them to come to one of our events once a year. We're going to serve our community. We're going to be out in the midst. We're going to be reaching out. And then the really important part of that is when you reach out, you've got to do an invite. They shouldn't be just thinking, wow, that was the neatest soccer coach I've ever had in my life. I wonder why he was different. At some point, we have to invite people to, and help them find and follow Jesus. So it becomes a continuing circle. It ends with an invite, and uh, it starts with an invite. The circle just keeps on uh, going. Next slide reveals that. So I invite you to imagine with me as we conclude and the worship band comes to lead in a song. I want you to imagine with me a church that has six first-time guests every weekend. Truth of the matter is, on an average weekend, uh, we have doubled to two and a half times that in terms of first-time guests. And then uh, I want you to understand that, and I'm using a low number here, I want you to understand if, if we have six first-time guests a weekend, that means 312 people who are on some kind of a journey to find a church uh, visit us every year. That's at just the number six every weekend. And then if we follow this pattern consistently, a week in and week out, we will see 100 people established in this church every year. I want you to imagine that. I want you to understand that. I want you to see that as a real possibility because it's real. And some of you hear that and say, pastors become really carnal and all he's worried about is numbers now. I'm too old for that, friends. I really am too old for that. I'm way past that. We need to be concerned about this because there are hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people in this city who need Jesus. And we need to be the kind of people who are deeply concerned about it. So imagine with me, Neighborhood Church. Imagine this. We can do this, but it's bigger than that. We must do this. We must do this. May God help all of us. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.